Off the Bench is a podcast created by ACLS that will discuss the scientific and not the scientific ideas in laboratory medicine. We are joined by members of ACLS, fellow scientists, educators, and researchers, along with those interested in the profession. We share ideas and talk nerdy. And welcome back to the Off the Bench podcast. I'm your host for today, Sophia Chandra-Sakar. Now, today's episode is a little different. It was originally supposed to be an episode where we talked about COVID's impact on the outer edges of laboratory science, not necessarily just those directly in the laboratory. But this conversation and the responses I got from our two speakers were so great that we decided to just make it its own episode. So today we are going to be talking about how COVID has affected the laboratory science education system. Now, the two guests that I have with me on this episode were Gabby Frimpong from UNC Chapel Hill, who was a student there, and Lisa Kermeets, also from UNC Chapel Hill, who was an instructor there. Gabby, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, hi, my name is Gabby Frimpong. I am a CLS student at UNC Chapel Hill, um, and I'm also a per diem student employee at UNC Medical Center. Thanks. Lisa, what about you? Hi, I'm Lisa Cremains, and I am a, an assistant professor with the Division of Clinical Laboratory Science at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And I am part of our institution's um, education initiatives to train the next, um, the the next group of professionals that are going to take care of all of us as we get get older and 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 need and need more medical laboratory attention. Let me start off by thanking both of you for your willingness to come and speak with me today and talk about the impact COVID has had on the education system, specifically for the laboratory sciences. Okay, so I guess the first question is really. Uh, I guess I uh, let's go. I guess I will go with Gabby first, and then we'll go Lisa. Um, how have classes from COVID? How have classes been impacted by COVID? Okay, so spring semester last year was when all of this started. We went for spring break and never came back. Um, so we lost a week of class time and had a more condensed schedule which unfortunately for me, I didn't realize until I was like halfway through, I was like, oh, I've lost a week of time. That's why everything feels so rushed. Um, But I think our professors did a good job of trying to get us everything that we needed to learn. Um, It was interesting though, going from being in class where we are not allowed to use laptops in class, um, going from that to being in front of a screen several hours a day trying to keep up with everything, Um, it was challenging. Uh, And I would also say, since we had such a a close-knit group, I would say, um, it was difficult going from seeing each other every day, like we would all sit together in the cafeteria and eat lunch before labs. um, And we kind of lost that camaraderie, um, being able to just meet up whenever and study for exams or ask each other questions about stuff we didn't quite understand. Um, So I really think that 
aspect of not being around classmates was probably the hardest part um, on top of just, you know, being in a pandemic in general, which no one had ever experienced before. Right. Do you think maybe if it's, if say you guys had started out as online students and just like, like how the current, the upcoming year class, they are currently like all online, right? As far as I know, I could be wrong, but do you think if you start off with your friends, meeting them only through online, do you think it would feel less of a stressor or do you think because you started out, it's the whole, you start out in person, then switching suddenly to online, that's, that's where the stress point is. Oh, definitely. I think if we started out online, it would have, it would have been easier. Um, but yeah, having had that in-person contact and just the resource of being together, um, I think that just made it a lot more difficult. Yeah. What about you, Lisa? How, how have classes been impacted from, from COVID on, from a professor standpoint? From the spring semester and just kind of tying into what Gabby had said, that that loss of being in person and being able to interact in a face-to-face -face environment where you can more easily assess, you know, the social cues and and the, the facial expressions and the body language and that sort of thing. Um, you do really realize as you move to an online environment, you know, even though we might have cameras on using Zoom or whatever, um, you, you really do miss a lot of the responses from individual students. So the eye expressions, are they actually understanding what I'm saying? Is somebody lost here? Um, are they, you know, are they losing focus? Those kinds of things are much more difficult when you move to a Zoom or online setting and you're still trying to, you know, maybe do these live Zoom sessions, which is what a lot of our faculty did try to do um, to try to kind of keep that connection with the students in, in a live type of environment. Um, other faculty members, especially in the spring, uh, tried to do more of the recorded lectures. So that they would um, be, I guess, more user-friendly really to the students so that they could access the recordings in an asynchronous manner because we were worried about students that might not have internet connection, might have been um, you know, displaced to a, the point where they didn't have an environment which was very conducive to, uh, to learning, to being able to focus those kinds of things. And, you know, they might have to study at, at different times of the day. Um, so there was, there was a lot of things to consider. Um, we were trying to be conscious about the needs of the students, which is kind of difficult to assess because there's so many different situations that students are in as they learn. Um, it, was, it was just a very awkward kind of thing because it was so abrupt and Gabby's right like we just didn't come back from spring break and we didn't expect that so even though we were told kind of to prepare for the worse um, or to plan for whatever might come our way it's hard or it was hard at that time to kind of envision what things were going to look like 
um, how we were going to have to adapt and what would work and what wouldn't. I would say, you know, in, in trying to prepare for the fall semester, there definitely were challenges with that because, again, we were pretty much asked to, to think about every possible scenario as far as coming back or not, or some type of hybrid type of, of education environment. And, and we really didn't know what that was gonna look like even you know a week or two, honestly, before we started the semester. And then they had talked about pivots and having to change if things didn't work, um, if the COVID case numbers went up, if we would have to, you know, move to completely online or, or um, it was just, I don't know, it was just a really interesting time to try to figure out what to do and what was best. Trying to keep the students in mind, the, the outcomes that we were trying to achieve in educating and training the students and then still trying to do um, what was necessary for the university. So it, there, was, it, there was a lot really of, um, I mean, honestly, sometimes it was kind of overwhelming to think about. I can't imagine trying to even being, even being able to prepare classes like that. Having gone through the program with with you, Lisa, as my professor, and the same program that Gabby's going through right now, I just remember everything being so tactile, everything being so in person. I can't imagine switching halfway through. I I think personally, I would probably be crushed pretty quickly. And as someone who does not function well in an online environment, I do better in an in-person course. So I just want to say first off, like I commend both of you guys for you know, everything you guys have done and everything you guys have gone through from both the student and the professor side of dealing with all of this, like it, it boggles my mind still. So with the difficulties in the education system, especially with the pausing programs, and for example, we had that, um, we had one of the clinical sites just literally a week before one of the major clinical rotations decided they were not going to take any students whatsoever. And then trying to scramble and trying to take care of that, like what what is currently, I guess, involved with trying to find things like clinical sites and trying to make sure everyone has the experience that they need for their credentialing hours. Well, I would say um, honestly, this is not something that's new for a lot of programs. Um, when it comes to losing clinical sites or having clinical sites decide at various points in time that they can't take students for, for whatever reason, re reason. Staffing oftentimes can fluctuate and it does impact a laboratory's ability to train students, uh, at least for some institutions. So this is not new. This is, has been an ongoing issue. Um, and as some laboratories have continued to merge over time or um, consolidate in ways where we have developed these core laboratories, there's oftentimes a loss of some of the laboratory rotations, especially in microbiology and um, transfusion medicine services. 
because there's just as, not as many um, opportunities for students to rotate in some of the smaller or rural hospitals that don't have uh, the microbiology labs anymore. So the consolidation has definitely had um, an impact prior to the pandemic. But with the pandemic, we did see, especially with, with our programs, a loss of some of the microbiology rotations, um, molecular rotations, immunology. We did have some issues, I think, with some of our specialized areas where the laboratory spaces were very small. The groups of uh, individuals working in the laboratories were also small and they just could not take students. So it's not just been microbiology and molecular areas that have been affected. But yes, we, we did end up um, losing, I shouldn't say losing, but we did end up with our microsites saying that they either could not take students or could only take uh, a very small number of students. And we, at the time, had a class of 20 that we were trying to place in the rotations. So what we decided to do was to um, just try to, to put together a virtual clinical microbiology slash molecular slash immunology rotation um, with the help of our clinical sites. And they were wonderful because they helped us with guest speakers, they helped our students um, feel like they were part of the, the laboratory experience by being involved in infectious disease rounds. Um, we did some, um, they, they were very helpful in providing us with resources to use for, for teaching at the bench. And I have that in, in quotes, where we have digital, uh, digital or uh, visual images on the computer of the uh, plates. So we did plate reading from digital images. And in, you know, in the laboratory now, we are really moving in that direction where much more of what we are doing in the microbiology space and even in molecular, it's, it's much more automated. So for us, um, trying to teach the laboratory or microbiology part of things, those those digital images were great. Um, the total lab automation will, will be uh, very helpful, I think, in teaching our future microbiologists how to perform work in, in the microbiology laboratory because you know, we have those resources available to us to, to look at the digital images. And I think um, that's pretty special, it's, it's, it's different. It's definitely an adjustment in the way that we teach because we, in that sense, can't hold the plates in our hand. Um, we don't see them quite in the same way that we would if we were there in person, but we can still teach students how to sight read um, from those digital images. And so I think that um, that really was a big help um, to have the the resources available from our clinical laboratories. And as I mentioned, also the guest speakers and the infectious disease rounds so students could feel like they were interacting with laboratory professionals in the lab setting. Um, and that was, I think really our goal was to make them feel that they there was a connection to the clinical lab. 
Um, I don't think that they really would have had that if we had just, you know, tried to move everything completely to a digital format online. So taking from that, Gabby, I have a question for you. Do you think or do you hear any concerns from any of your fellow classmates who might say, well, you know, I, we had the virtual, but then it's not like being in person. Do you think that there's any concern about not wanting to work in a specific lab because they don't have any like actual in-person experience? Or do you think with virtual, there shouldn't be much of a problem, at least in your experience? Well, I, I would say we have had conversations. Most of the people that I talk to, I, I always ask, well, hey, how are you feeling about, you know, clinicals or whatever? Um, and there is a concern that having the virtual rotations is not going to be enough to prepare us. Um, but I think having worked in the lab, I mean, wherever you go, you're going to get trained, right? So personally, I feel like we have enough knowledge and we've been given the tools to be successful um, wherever we go. Um, I would say especially for this, the um, combined, the microimmunology and molecular micro rotation that we just had, um, I feel like that was enough to prepare us for working in those areas of the lab. Um, I will say though, uh, one instance where I don't think people feel prepared was special hematology. Um, and that's really because in hematology lab, we, we really only had one day of COAG um, just because the student lab doesn't have COAG machines um, to use. Um, so not having that and then not being able to actually go into the lab and see how the ACL tops work um, and just the workflow of a coagulation lab. I think that's one area where I personally feel like my knowledge may be lacking. Um, and I've heard a few other people say that as well. But I mean, it's extraordinary circumstances. So we'll be able to roll with the punches. But it, it, it the thought does cross your mind. Like if I go into this job, will I be prepared? Or will I kind of have to start from scratch? Yeah, I will say like, from my experience working at UNC, the training, like there's no way they would let you, like they wouldn't, they would make sure you feel comfortable in a, in a bench incompetent. And I believe that should be, and that probably is the way it is at, at a lot of labs, hopefully. Um, they wanna make sure that you feel comfortable enough to handle a disaster potentially, or how do you handle every factor in the world and then you only have one instrument and you get a couple tags and a row tem and then go, you know, like they will prepare you for that. I guess this is a question more directed at Lisa, like from your experience of working in a laboratory and from your uh, education experience, how does this impact patient care? Will it be impacted by the difference in traditional versus virtual rotations? Which is, do you think there will be any sort of impact in it? patient care? So that that's a good question. And I know that's something that a lot of people are thinking about and kind of asking themselves. But, but what I would say is that from the clinical laboratory education standpoint, we are very focused on, on outcomes. 
And, and I think through this pandemic, we, we still had end goals that we're trying to achieve. So even through this time where some of our students have lost opportunities to be in face-to-face -face clinical rotations or internships, I, I, I think we've tried to do what we can to make sure that there's not deficiencies. And one of the things that really helps with that is having a, an excellent foundational um, year before they enter clinicals. And so we really do focus it, for our um, junior year students on making sure that they are getting everything they need in their didactic and um, student laboratory courses. Now our student laboratory courses for our first year or junior students, they were cut short at the end, end of last year. But I think that they had developed enough skills and could get a feel for things that um, they had some confidence in, in what they, they knew skill-wise as far as hands-on skills go. Uh, I, I think as long as programs are very focused on making sure that their students have the foundational knowledge and basic skills that they need to enter into the laboratory that a student will be successful. And I would say, and I think Sophia, you kind of touched on this before, that the laboratory will train you. Once you are employed, you will be trained on every instrument that you need to, to, to be using in the laboratory and the procedures. I mean, we have checks and balances there to make sure that individuals working in the lab follow procedures that they meet perf performance standards. And I think we have to remember also that um, laboratories are different from one to the next. There's different instrumentation, there's different procedures, there's different policies, there's different methods of doing things, there's different work settings. So even though we think that we're teaching students to go out and work to a certain standard in maybe one particular laboratory, or in our case, we have three sites our students rotate through, they could go off to another laboratory somewhere else and everything could be done almost completely differently. So, so as long as we are focused on the right outcomes and preparation of the students to an expected standard where they can be successful and that would include, you know, certification, meeting that um, that standard there, licensure in states where it's required. If they can meet that standard of, of practice, they should be successful in their jobs. So, this has been, um, it's it's definitely been a challenge, you know. And there's a lot of questions that everybody's asking, but honestly, I don't, you know, I don't have with our students. I don't have concerns over unsafe practices, and thinking that they aren't prepared to go out and perform laboratory testing in a clinical environment. I I think there's plenty of checks and balances there. I think that we have high standards for our program and our hospitals that employ these individuals will have high standards. So I don't have concerns about patient safety because of, because of this. This is, this is something 
that it's definitely been a challenge. It's been a pain in the butt, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it's something that uh, for, for most of us has, has definitely, um, you know, it's, it's something new. It's, it's, it's something we're going to have to, I think, figure out going forward how to best um, change a few things, maybe a lot of things, and really kind of think outside the box. So, I mean, I hate to say it, but in many ways, I think that some things have been good about this because it really has made us rethink what we're teaching, the way we're teaching. If there are different ways that we can do things that might work better. Um, that might reach further because we do have concerns, of course, about the number of individuals entering the profession. We have a shortage of laboratory professionals. We have had difficulties reaching out into rural communities and underserved areas to, um, to train individuals in laboratory medicine to, to um, recruit those individuals because not everybody can come to UNC and go to school, right? So we have to start to think about other ways to approach this. And, and you know, maybe in some ways this has been a good experience for us because it has really made us think about, you know, other ways of doing things. And I guess to, to piggyback off of off that response, do either of you see a potential future in where CLS programs, at least for at least a didactic year, would go more online? So I, I'm not, I, I don't know that I can really speculate on what will happen in North Carolina. I, I do know that across the country, there are other institutions that are reaching out into their rural communities through some hybrid kinds of courses uh, where you know the a teacher may be in a classroom in a synchronous face-to-face -face environment while they are streaming their lecture to another group of students at another setting somewhere whether it's a university or just independently in their homes. Um, so that is that is something that's being done for the didactic coursework. Um, I think some institutions are trying to, to partner with um, other maybe smaller laboratories, community colleges, where they can get the laboratory component into that for the, the teaching student laboratory side of it. Uh, you know, in some of these rural areas. So there are programs that are thinking outside the box and in, in how they can be more inclusive for training individuals in rural or underserved areas. That, that is happening. In North Carolina right now, um, it's, it's kind of, we're sort of in an uncertain pattern, I think, in, in some ways. We have risk of losing one of our MLS schools um, on the eastern side of the state. And if we lose that, that, that program will be down to three in the state. So that school serves basically the eastern half of our state. 
and there would be no four-year degree program there. So I don't know if that happens, if we would have to, to, to think about some of those options for reaching students in those areas um, and, and possibly you know, offering something to them. But that's, I mean, that, those would be future discussions, I think, based on kind of how things play out. We definitely have um, an insufficient number of graduates to meet the demand that we have in the state. So that definitely is a concern, especially at the four-year degree level. We do have more MLT programs in the state than we have MLS programs. Um, but, you know, those, those levels of or types of degrees are a preference for certain employers, depending on the work setting. And so not everybody that has an MLT is going to find a job um, in one type of setting and not every MLS is going to find a job in another type of setting. A kind of a mix is usually um, employed. So there's there's just many there's just many things to consider I think um, with all of this and it's I think we're just kind of in uncertain times right now especially in our state just kind of waiting and seeing what happens before any more discussions had sort of thing okay and then last question last like official question um, is there any concern with uh, or since classes for now are online. Is there any concern of less students potentially being drawn into the profession and starting a medical science career? I mean, I think Gab Gabby could probably weigh in on this too, just as a student that has had to, to, well, a student that hasn't really had a choice, kind of been forced into the online learning, right? But expecting to be in person. I think that's kind of where we're at this. I mean, this is kind of up in the air too right now. I think, um, you know, our, our high schoolers are being educated mainly in an online format. Do they like it? My two kids don't. I mean, they, they would definitely prefer to be in the classroom face-to-face -face with their teachers. And I think the same probably can be said for most college students as well. If you, if you think that you are going to attend classes in person and then all of a sudden you're told you're not, that that's not, uh, I mean, that's not ideal, right? But going forward, if students know that it's an online program and it's gonna be set up that way and that's what the expectation is, then there's something to plan for. So I think right now we are still kind of in this limbo sort of situation because we don't know going forward, how much of this is going to continue to be taught online versus what will be taught, you know, face-to-face -face or in person. There are MLS programs and probably MLT programs in the country that do teach their programs online. I mean, this is, this is not new in that sense, um, but it takes a special kind of student sometimes that, that wants to learn that way. So I don't know, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I, my gut tells me that we, we probably will be okay, at least you know, with this next year or maybe two years of enrollments. Um, I think the visibility of the profession has been better than it has been in past years. So 
more people are aware that this is a degree that they can get. It's a career path that they can can follow. So I think that has probably benefited us. Um, but we'll just have to see, you know, if if this has to stay with more of the online type of teaching, if that will make an impact, or will this become the expectation? It's it's hard to know, right? Because it does offer some flexibility to be able to learn online, but for some people, it's not their their preferred method either. So. Gabby, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, um, I definitely agree. I think as a student, as long as there's like, you know what you're getting into, if there's an expectation that it's going to be online and people are still um, wanting to pursue this degree, then I think that they will. Um, I think just right now, not knowing how programs are gonna be moving forward might deter some people, but I think um, once that's established, whether things have to be online you know, for the next few years or there could be some hybrid, as long as there's a set plan, I think, I think people would still be willing to enroll in these programs. Okay, thank you. Trying to end on a positive note, um, the most positive impact that you think COVID has in your respective area, both as a student and as a professor or in life? All right, I'll go first. <laughs> I think the most positive thing that's happened during this pandemic is that the visibility of the profession has developed. People are aware of the laboratory and what it does. And that was not the case before. I, we, I mean, when did we ever see the inside of a laboratory on TV? Accurately on TV too. Yeah, um, I would say it's a lot easier to explain my major to people now <laughs> when they ask me. There's a lot less steps to get them to understand. Um, and also just, there's definitely a lot of job opportunities for us upon graduation now, which is great. That was not always the case. So that's an amazing thing, I will say. <laughs> Again, I want to thank both of you for coming on and sharing your experiences with us in the podcast. For more information and podcasts, go to ascls.org slash off the bench. If you want to join the discussion, check us out on Facebook and comment in the comments below and we'll you know try to have a discussion there. If you have any opinions, if you want to bring up any cool topics you think would be great, shoot us a message on the ASCLS Facebook page as well. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you guys next time.